the most popular case of uh, technology-facilitated sexual assault happened in 2006 when a group of teenage boys in Australia filmed the sexual assault of a teenage girl they knew. It started to become known as the Werribee DVD, and it was sold first in schools for $5, and then later it was uploaded on the internet and made available for $60 a piece, and they titled it Cunt, the movie. Um, the ex excerpts of the video, not the entire video, but, but sections of it, were made free on YouTube, and it showed the boys urinating on the girl, setting her hair on fire, throwing her clothes into a river, and forcing her to participate in sex acts. Eight of the youths were charged with assault, manufacturing child porn, and uh, forcing sexual penetration by intimidation in 2007, but her videos stayed online for years after. Despite reporting it immediately to Facebook when it was uploaded, it took Facebook over two years to find all the copies of it and remove it from their platform. And so this is just one example of how sexual violence is occurring online and perhaps one of the most egregious that is heavily published about right now. Thank you. Okay, welcome. Welcome to our podcast, Hear Yourself. Um, my name is Marilyn. And I'm Susie. And today we are sitting with Professor Zaleski at the University of Southern California. Professor Zaleski is an expert on sexual assault victims and has primarily worked with military sexual trauma survivors. During this podcast, we're, we would like to focus on the innovation and increased usage of social media and numerous effects it has had on our society. Although many may argue that social media has allowed for numerous positive outcomes, we must also be transparent about the negative outcomes. Social media has certainly become an outlet for abuse and other negative implications that have resulted in lifelong effects such as, such as technology-facilitated sexual violence. For example, obsessions over celebrities' lives have normalized cyberbullying and technology-facilitated sexual violence. Today's specific topic, we will be exploring the impact that social media has had on intimate partner violence. We have, had, we have learned thus far in our social work classes that there are several types of sexual assault and abuse cases. Undoubtedly, there are several well-known forms of sexual assault. However, we would like to encourage our listeners to focus their attention on technology-facilitated sexual violence, a form of intimate partner violence that is rarely spoken about in the media that may be equally traumatic for victims. Technology-facilitated sexual violence may be known, for example, as revenge porn. We would now like to focus our attention on Professor Zaleski. Welcome, Professor Zaleski. Thanks Thank for having for me. Us. <laughs> we are excited to dive into the topic of technology-facilitated sexual violence. So do you think you can uh, define what an intimate partner abuse is? Intimate partner abuse originates with two intimate partners, usually. I guess it could be more than two if polyamory is involved. Mm -hmm. And it involves some... Uh, force of power, usually in a way that involves emotions, uh, viol physical violence, or even financial abuse. Okay, thank you. And would you be able to tell our audience what technology-facilitated sexual violence is? Technology-facilitated sexual violence is a mouthful, and it is a sort of a new area of research, maybe in the last decade is the earliest study, where we are learning that perpetrators of uh, sexual assault 
are using online technology to perpetrate in various ways. So uh, the term itself is sort of a major umbrella term, and there are lots of things underneath it, like um, deep fakes, where people will take an image of someone and create sort of a cartoon or a graphic uh, story of someone having sex, and people who aren't able to detect that it's really a made-up cartoon will think that that's a real video, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, this instance we just talked about where there's an actual case of sexual assault in the real world, quote unquote, and then it further gets enacted online with the sharing. Um, and then revenge porn, which is the most common form of violence that is studied right now of technology facilitated forms of sexual violence and often occurs where we're realizing in intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, Now that we have those two definitions um, defined, those two terms, how does technology-facilitated sexual violence relate to intimate partner violence? Well, we're actually debating on adding it to the um, violence and control wheel. That violence and control wheel has been around for a few decades now, and it shows the different types of abuse that a partner can enact on um, their victim or their partner. And we're finding that technology is now a new way to do that. So it certainly can be, uh, you know, like posting a video of a sex act that she, I'm using heteronormative terms here, that she had initially consented to, that now um, the partner is using against her will or as a form of uh, control. If you don't do what I say, I will post this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing it in, if you look at it through an intersectional lens, for instance, Muslim communities, women who don't normally show their shoulders um, or neck or things like that, where their intimate partner might have a picture of them in that way, mm-hmm. and uh, they break up, they can post that picture and bring sort of shame to their family that their daughter's being seen um, with less clothes than they culturally would allow. So there's lots of different ways that we're seeing this be used in in intimate partner violence. Yeah, and we want to emphasize the fact that in current, in our current times now, there's more platforms of technology where these videos, pictures, whatever it is, could be um, published online, like Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. Like, there's so many different platforms where people could experience this sort of technology facilitated sexual violence. Yeah, and if I can add to that. It's it's the web that we know, and it's the dark web. There's a whole mm-hmm. underbelly of revenge porn sites where the only way you can enter the dark web groups is if you provide your own revenge porn mm-hmm. video, mm-hmm. and then that gets into the group, and that gets you into the group to watch other people's. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's in the web that we know. It's in the dark web. It's also in private group chats which is something Facebook's trying to tackle right now. If someone knows it's there, Facebook can take it down. But if they have a private group Mm -hmm. and you don't know who the members are, there's no way that information's being shared or scanned. Right. So a few years ago, we had that case on Facebook where a group of um, military soldiers were passing around pictures. Marines, actually, yeah. Marines, there you go. And um, it took a long time for Facebook to take it down because they didn't know that it was there. Exactly. So when you have those private Facebook groups, you have to have someone in the group that ends up having second thoughts Mm -hmm. or someone 
who knows about the group that will report it. But even then, it's hard for Facebook to find it. You need to have a lot of specifics about that private group. Right. And we've had two congressional hearings on uh, military-related revenge porn cases where the military commanders are saying they're going to get on top of this. But the, the truth is there's no way for them to get on top of that Mm -hmm. unless they can somehow forbid Facebook usage across all the military and that's not going to happen. So that's really the issue is it's on all these platforms as you mentioned and there's no good way to filter it at all. Facebook can take down all the videos and they can immediately go up the next day. So it's really a hard hard case. Mm -hmm. Well with all the new technology and even um, technology being accessed through younger generations, how prevalent do you see this Um, abuse happening? So we've just started in the last few years asking this question and I would say that we haven't asked it very much in the United States. Mm -hmm. With the latest data I have from the United States it comes from the University of Florida and we're seeing that it's 1 in 20 Americans are reporting being victims to having an intimate image, that's the definition that they're providing in the survey, an intimate image shared without their consent. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see higher rates more often than one in 20 when we're talking about LGBT youth. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about more than one in 20 when we talk about women and and minorities in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Something really related to the epidemic is the concept of sexting. Mm -hmm. And sexting started to be more documented in adolescent groups, and certainly the norm. Mm -hmm. And so, I think we're going to start noticing a higher incidence of this as the current teenage mm-hmm. population grows up and, you know, doesn't understand or mm-hmm. maybe value the consent of mm-hmm. an intimate image. And I think it's a scary thought that um, our younger generation is being more in tune with technology. So I feel like perhaps the age limit can now move from even adolescents to maybe even a little bit younger because of their being exposed to this technology that we could say our generation wasn't exposed to as early so right and then you have the issue of parenting this isn't even on parents' radars, Mm -hmm. right? So they can't even warn their children about this happening. So from a social work perspective, we have a lot of work to do. You know, the research is just starting, so we can't totally make a case for it in classroom education yet, but we can certainly provide education and advocacy on this concept. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, as I've gone around talking to people in power to do something about this, they really want hard data. They Mm -hmm. want to show that it's a problem, and it's going to take us some years to prove that. Yeah. Why do you think that it's more prevalent with minority groups? That's an excellent question, and I couldn't even guess, because we just don't have the research yet Mm -hmm. for it. You know, all we have is... Um, these certain groups, women, minorities, LGBT youth, are reporting it at a higher rate. That could be how the survey was designed. The survey I'm referencing did their sampling through Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if that's necessarily a representative sample mm-hmm. of the you know crime itself because I don't know very many teenagers on Facebook, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, right. but I'm interested in finding out more. Mm. Yeah. So we wouldn't even be able to tell, like... Um, which groups exactly are being targeted, right. like ethnicity, gender, age, because it's a wide range and data is still being accumulated. Right, and at this point I think it falls in the line of what we know for intimate partner violence, right? It happens across all demographics, all SES, um, you know, income ratios, and, you know, whatever whoever could be perpetrating 
violence against their partner also has a cell phone and access to technology. So it's probably just as likely in those same ways. Um, it's it's a good idea that you mentioned that many adolescents now are even using Facebook. Mm-hmm. So what would be a way now, say you were on that research team, to include a greater portion of the population that is affected by this? Well, so that is a an issue in social work research when we're talking about generations. Uh, I, you know, my generation is on Facebook. You can sample us pretty well, I think, through Facebook. Twitter's a whole nother platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have Snapchat, which is falling out of grace for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but beyond those, we also have these group text apps. And that's where we're seeing a lot of this violence happen, too. Because mm-hmm. in the same way you could create a private Facebook group, you can create a private um, group me room and include hundreds of people so how the question is how do we sample that and Facebook owns WhatsApp and so Facebook is asking this question how do we target people who use WhatsApp to find this out and they're still figuring it out it's Mm -hmm. such a big sampling methodology Mm -hmm. no one has their brain wrapped around it yet and that's true because WhatsApp even has like an encryption where exactly. a lot of the things can't be shared exactly. with the company. Yes. Oh. So it so it becomes sort of in direct conflict with our national values, right? Mm-hmm. Of, you know, we have a right to privacy. We have yeah. a right, mm-hmm. you know, to engage in, in our own freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. And we have a right to congregate either, you know, in a group or um, online or in a group chat. So, you know, it, it does run into a lot of legal hurdles when right. we talk about trying to get into these private areas. Right. Yeah. Um, so we are interested also in the impacts that technology facilitated sexual violence has had on individuals, so the victims, um, socially and mentally, mm-hmm. um, because we do we assume that it does have a huge infringement on their lives. Mm-hmm. So if you could um, explain a little bit on that. Um. Well, so we don't even know that yet. Mm-hmm. There has, you know, there's been a few studies asking general questions about mental health. We, we know that people feel more sad, right? Mm-hmm. When this happens, that yeah. seems kind of obvious. Uh, we know that people have a fear of being in public because mm-hmm. you don't know, right? Once it's on the web, you don't know who's seen it. Um, So that seems obvious. I've also myself, and this hasn't been done by research, but just anecdotal reading of other people's research and talking to survivors, it seems like there's an interesting thing that happens with them um, engaging in compulsive behaviors. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's one research study published where they uh, interviewed, I think, 12 or 14 women about what they did when they were victims of revenge porn. And many of them talk about uh, waking up in the morning, checking Facebook, checking eBay, because they'll sell these things on eBay, mm-hmm. um, checking Twitter, having their morning coffee two hours later, going back, checking Facebook, checking mm-hmm. eBay. So it became this compulsive uh, need and almost like they they controlled their anxiety by ensuring there were no new postings right. of their video. Yeah. And it you know becomes quite obsessive and quite disruptive in mm-hmm. someone's life. So the research that I'm starting 
now I'm waiting to get IRB approval at USC is to interview survivors who have experienced this type of abuse and see if they currently or did have depressive symptoms, Mm -hmm. heightened anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. I'm particularly worried about PTSD because I think uh, unlike you know, a sexual assault in the real world where it happens and there's a clear ending, uh, this type of violence continues to happen. There is no clear ending. Even when you take it down, it could show up again. Right. And what that can do to somebody uh, and their, you know, their sense of anxiety of being mm-hmm. uh, perpetrated against over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I want to look at that a lot more. Mm-hmm. But we don't know right mm-hmm. now what it does. Mm-hmm. And socially, I think, um, how, how would you speak to the idea that, um, you know, these things are coming up over and over again. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are they isolated usually? Mm -hmm. Or um, what's sort of your take on how they react, like, socially to the world? I do think that the stories I've heard, it impacts the survivor's sense of trust. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, here I was having, I was in love with my boyfriend, my partner, and I took a naked photo of myself to, you know, flirt with him Mm -hmm. or be playful with him. I felt safe at the time and two years later find out he posted it and tagged my mom on Facebook, right? If a person I love can do that, then how can I trust myself to know what love is? How can I trust myself to trust someone? And that's where you start to see those isolation strategies. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that's a unique form of this, but we need to study it to really say that for sure. Right. So you would think, so you think that, um, this facilitated, sexual violence is a little bit more traumatic to a person than a physical. I, because I Potentially. Because it would be reoccurring since you right. try to take it down and it comes back up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my hypothesis yeah. that has yet to be proved. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like domestic violence. Mm-hmm. PTSD and interpersonal violence, domestic violence does, some studies show that it's higher than what we call a single incident, mm-hmm. physical or sexual assault, mm-hmm. right? Because of the length of time it lasted. And so I'm using that framework to apply to revenge porn. Mm-hmm. And in, it's interesting that you bring up domestic violence because I think, you know, it hand in hand. Um, in domestic violence, I think that before, you know, when they're in the stages of change, um, they're very much in denial that this is happening in their relationship. And so do you think that when these videos, pictures, whatever it is, is posted, do you think that initial reaction is denial? Like, oh, that's not me, or no, it doesn't affect me, or I don't care that it's up there? Um, Well, I think they would need to have awareness to have a feeling, and there's a possibility that it happens without their awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, we're looking, we're studying it, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. It's an excellent question that Mm -hmm. you ask. How does a survivor react when, when he or she is still in the relationship versus when it happens after? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we are familiar with, um, you know, spouses and partners who want to believe the best of their spouse. Mm-hmm. And so I think potentially they could tolerate it or look the other way or whatever mm-hmm. um, if it happens. But I just don't have any data to say that they will or they won't. Mm-hmm. So how would it, how would a victim be supported if they were to encounter this type of abuse? Well, we thankfully are starting to pass laws in uh, the United States worldwide. Actually, there's starting to be a real advocacy uh, 
or an awareness campaign and countries are doing something about this. The problem is how you define lack of consent and what can be uh, prosecuted in court. That Mm -hmm. definition can get really complicated. And so a lot of the laws that have been passed in the United States really miss the mark Mm -hmm. for for bringing the majority of cases to court. Mm -hmm. And so that continues to be uh, a legal discussion. In fact, if you do a literature review on this, the legal journals have the most publications. The okay. the legal uh, discourse is much more engaged about this than I think mental health mm-hmm. is uh, definitely uh, than mental health is right now. So hopefully we'll catch up with that. Mm-hmm. But you do have some ability to report it. Social media sites recognize that it happens and do have teams to support victims from having it taken down. Uh, and there are lawyers who have web who have developed websites on how to build a case, mm-hmm. how to, you know, screenshot your computer to show this is happening, mm-hmm. how to save your text messages from the person who accused you of this or threatened this against you. Mm-hmm. And sort of when you do report it to a police officer who might not have the tools to really understand this as a crime yet, because right. I don't know that we're educating officers yeah. yet about this you can have a sophisticated package to hand during your law enforcement interview, mm-hmm. uh, which requires you to be somewhat mentally healthy, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of research yourself right. to advocate for this to be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think social workers play a very um, important role Agreed. in this issue. And um, what can social workers do? Because we sort of already pointed out the legal, what, what, what we're doing legally, yeah. But what are what what can social workers do to impact these people on a more micro um, level? In a micro level, I think, a talk to our friends, right? Mm-hmm. As I've started to talk about this, just with my my students and my friends, I'm hearing about it uh, a lot more often than I thought it was. I mean, everybody knows someone, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know who this has happened to. Um, And I think we need to start having more conversations with our friends about that. But our clients, too. I think when we have somebody who might be in an abusive relationship, we need to ask this specific question. Mm -hmm. This is not in our DV biopsychosocial assessments yet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as social work students being on the cutting edge of this, I think you need to add limit on to those assessments to see how technology is being used as a threat. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I think recognizing that this is a form of sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of mental health clinicians that I speak to when I bring this up, it just feels so in the clouds, literally and figuratively, Mm -hmm. that they don't see it as a form of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of what the research I'm doing is to to have concrete data to say, Mm -hmm. no, look, this is the same thing. And why do you think it's not perceived as the same thing? I think technology and social media is is just not looked at Mm -hmm. as a lived experience. if you really wanted to go into the philosophical uh, realm, there are conversations about embodiment, right? And how um, some theorists believe that your your internet presence is disembodied and you are not actually affected, that you can be a different person online. And uh, feminists, uh, cyber feminists, they're mm-hmm. called, actually say that no in fact you know a woman's body is still her body online Mm -hmm. and it can still be violated online Mm -hmm. but that's not something we talk about I mean have you talked about that with your friends probably not right (laughs) so um that just needs to come into our cultural dialogue Mm -hmm. wow thank you 
So would you, do you have any tips or advice for people to prevent this from happening to them? You know, prevention is hard because you never want to victim blame, right? Mm -hmm. Like don't send naked pictures. Well, I mean, why would I want to tell somebody not to flirt with their partner, you know? Um, But I do think that we can do more to just educate and empower one another about um, our, the consent piece and our own bodies. I know a lot of people who will get naked pictures on like match.com or, um, what's that? The swipe one? Uh, Tinder. Tinder. <laughs> right. I know lots of women who have received naked pictures of men yeah. and their genitals and, you know, they'll share pictures back and forth. If you don't really have a trusting relationship with someone and you don't know what they're capable of, that mm-hmm. might be, you know, something to think about um, and the potential that the picture you send won't be kept in a private confidential space. Um, But more so, I think we need to do education around how we negotiate sexual boundaries and how we negotiate consent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the same way that my girlfriend who looks really good in a picture will post it even though I look horrible and I don't want anyone to see me. I want her to ask my consent before she puts that online. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we need to have those conversations Mm -hmm. in sexual boundaried ways and not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, too, think it's important to have it in education. That's the only way that I think people will be able to get that message across. Um, but it's interesting just considering where we are now in, in society yeah. and, like, how how that would be perceived in an educational mm-hmm. framework. Mm-hmm. You know, how parents will think, why why is a professor talking to my student or my child about um sexual yeah you know, sexting sexual, yeah, yeah right mm-hmm. right and if we're we're handing children smartphones mm-hmm. right at eight years old nine yes. years old yeah. mm-hmm. and if we don't give them the conversation about the violence that can happen to them by mm-hmm. engaging in these social networks then we're not doing due justice mm-hmm. in the same way that we tell our kids to look both ways before they cross the street and right. not talk to strangers right, right? <laughs> so it's a new way of thinking about protecting mm-hmm. our children mm-hmm. and I just don't think parents are aware of this phenomenon mm-hmm. so we need to do more to educate them right. and well, we give we allow for those sex ed classes in elementary school mm-hmm. where you teach a child how to put on a condom exactly you know why can't we educate our children about these phenomenons that are going on in the world and how they could affect them and wh- what even is um inf- what this even is like what even is intimate sexual assault and how we can right. teach that to a child that's younger that has a phone who maybe maybe it's not a naked picture but it's a picture that makes them feel really uncomfortable exactly and they don't know how to how to speak up about it right i wonder if it would be possible for social workers maybe school social workers to advocate for um a class or a mm-hmm. workshop about this because i would love to it, see that because it is it is something that's happening and you you're right they're younger kids who are getting access to phones and, you know, you will tell the parents and they'll say, well, I already have the parental advisory, um, you know, mm-hmm. something on the phone where it, it prevents them from seeing right. adult stuff. But they're not educated on this. Right. It doesn't prevent them from joining a group chat. Exactly. Right. And mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's so many cases right. where kids have. Yeah. Yeah. And parents just kind of let their children browse on YouTube. Right. You know, yeah. well, how do you know if they're not going to come across a video and they don't even know that, you know, right. that's what it is. Yeah. Right. So. And that, I think, is the other piece to the education. It's not just how do you avoid being a victim of this, but how do you avoid being a bystander to this? Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's like if you're in a group chat of 200 people and someone passes that, you might say in the group chat, 
oh, that's wrong or that's inappropriate. But how can we begin to educate people? That's a crime, Mm -hmm. right? A crime was just committed in the same way that you just received a photo of somebody um, murdering someone or, you know what I mean, robbing a store. Mm -hmm. Would you hold on to that or would you report that? So it's there's definitely a societal conversation that is coming with this, Mm -hmm. but we just don't know how long it'll take. But there's also that bystander effect where... Mm -hmm. You know, a whole bunch of people can witness this crime and no one will say anything because they'll think, oh, someone else will say it for them. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. The diffusion of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that's something we haven't studied. I believe it, you believe it, but we need to study it to know that it's true. Right. So, you know, you two and anyone listening should go get their PhD and make this their dissertation. (laughs) (laughs) So where can, if you know of a victim, uh, where can the victims go to get resources here in LA or to help them in LA? In LA, I'm actually not sure. I can tell you there's lots of online sites. So okay. uh, Badass Army is one. If you Google revenge porn laws in my state, you will come up with a lot of advocacy organizations. Um, there's a, a cyber rights initiative that's based out of Florida that does research just on this topic and provides legal av- advocacy just on this topic. Um, as far as like a, a brick and mortar location, I actually don't know of any that exists. I think that's part of what our job as social workers is to do is to educate yeah. mm-hmm. brick and mortar institutions about this kind of violence. And do you think international, um, there's international awareness about this topic? More so than in the United States. Oh, I mean, I, it's being talked about in parts of Africa. It's being talked about in Palestine. Australia's, Australia and England are tied for the most research done in their countries on this. The Australian government is involved in this. They have funding to study this wow. in Australia. Um, Facebook did a, a sort of a test um, run and they chose Australia to do their test run on preventing revenge porn on their site because of Australia's progress and research on this topic. So we in the United States are far behind. Do you think it's because we haven't had as um, prominent cases, like public cases, as other places? It's or? an excellent question. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Why is no one studying it? Why is no one talking about it? I don't know. Maybe there's a stigma. Maybe. You, know, you should the whole idea that you shouldn't be sending these pictures mm-hmm. or you shouldn't be taking these videos. Victim, victim blame is very blaming. prominent yeah. here, for sure. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, thank you so much for educating us on this <laughs> and our, our audience, too. Thanks for asking good questions. <laughs> we appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, and I learned a whole bunch yeah. in just this small conversation. And... Um, I'm excited to share how education and awareness um, and share this podcast with our listeners so that they can, too, be um, enlightened by this information. Great. And hopefully social workers who are listening or even just general public, if they even know about this um, revenge porn or technology facilitated, facilitated sexual violence, which is a mouthful, <laughs> um, hopefully they can tell other people about it, educate other people so then... You know, they're, they take a little bit more precaution. You're doing your part as social workers, creating this to make it be spread around. So thanks for that. Remember that there's somebody out there waiting for you to be their social worker. That's right. Thank you.